Well, even though off weeks are kind of boring, that doesn't mean we don't have anything to talk about. There's plenty to talk about. Post-game comments made by Jeremy Pruitt looking ahead to Arkansas, looking ahead to what the rest of the season looks like for the Vols. I'm going to play all the hits right now on 3rd and Long. You are locked in, and it's 3rd and Long. Each week, Logan Ward hits you with the hardest opinions in college football, the SEC, and on Rocky Top. Logan is just like you. He's a fan. I mean, does anyone want to disagree with me that college football is not the best sport in the entire world? He's right. Now, I know people think this is crazy, but I'm always right. And I can tell you, I'm definitely right about this. He's humble. I know what I'm talking about. And that's just a fact. And he's in your face. Here, why don't you just sit back and I'll tell you exactly what you should think. Third and Long can be heard each week on iTunes and SoundCloud. Now, for Third and Long, here's Logan Ward. All right, well, back in your life on this late October day. My name is Logan Ward. Thank you for being here with me today. You are listening to Third and Long every week on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Follow me on Twitter at LoganWard98. And, you know, as I said in the cold open is it's an off week for Tennessee. I guess you can't call it an off week. You, you, well, I guess it, it is an off week. I always hated the word bye week because you're not really – a bye week in, insinuates that you're in some kind of a tournament and, you know, you get a first round bye as you would see – and, you know, some, some other tournaments like the, the MLB playoffs who that that just wrapped up. So it's an off week for Tennessee coming off a very bad last 10 quarters for the Vols. We'll, we'll get into that here in a minute. And also I'll bring you an interview that I had, a little chat with a friend of the program, Eric Kane. But first, I, you know, I think it's a little bit of a waste of time to break down X's and O's what exactly happened with the Tennessee-Alabama game this past week because, you know, everyone watched it. We all know what was going to happen. Fans going into the game and media did alike, and I knew especially what was going to happen in that game. We knew Alabama was going to come out. They had a high-flying offense. Their defense is just good enough right now, and then Tennessee's going to struggle. And that's what we expected, and that is in turn what we're going to get. So I'm not going to talk about that game really at all. What I am going to talk about is I think the most important thing that came out of that game didn't even happen on the field. It happened off the field in Jeremy Pruitt's post-game press conference where he says, and this is this is real, he said this, quote, I can assure you the gap is closing, talking about Tennessee and Alabama. Quote, I can assure you the gap is closing. It might not show it on the scoreboard, but it's closing. Close quote. And you know, Sports Radio WML's our own, my friend Jimmy Himes, said that. Well, I guess asked him that question, and that was Jeremy Pruitt's response. And a lot of fans were pissed off about that. I'll be I'll be quite honestly, you know, I was with some friends that I read that quote to him right as right as it came across my Twitter feed, and I said, hey, listen to this, guys. Listen to what Jeremy Pruitt just said. And I think their jaws, and like Twitter did, their jaws hit the floor. But he alludes to it in that it might not show it on the scoreboard, which is which is ultimately what matters is, but he says the gap is closing. But I ask you, is it? Like I said, and like Jeremy Pruitt has said, and like most people are saying all over Twitter, Vol fans alike calling into radio shows and on Twitter everywhere, the only thing that matters is the scoreboard. Yes, Tennessee right now, they do have a good recruiting class. Jeremy Pruitt has came in and he has changed the roster from what he inherited. But going back to recruiting is, yes, they have a top 10 class right now, you know, according to all of the major recruiting services like like 247, like Rivals, and I don't even pay attention to ESPN anymore. Recruiting's going good, but we don't know how good it's going to be until about three years down the line, until you get to about 2023, 24, because that's ultimately when this cycle we we will turn around and see, hey, was this a good class? Was it not a good class? So that doesn't matter right now. So I'm going to throw recruiting out of that. Just looking at the scoreboard 
and what is on the roster right now currently? Obviously, what, what is on the roster right now currently, I already alluded to, the roster has changed as far as depth-wise. Now, quality depth that we have seen being able to make plays on the field and contribute to wins, no, we haven't seen that yet. Will we see that this year? I have no idea. idea. But the only thing that matters, and Jeremy Pruitt said it, and so is everyone else, the only thing that matters is the scoreboard. And as far as that is concerned, the talent, the the gap, the so-called gap between Alabama and Tennessee is humongous. If anything, it's gotten bigger. Since Jeremy Pruitt has been the head coach, that that was his 30th game on Saturday. He's 15 and 15. He's 0 and 8 against his rivals. The average score is 43 to 15. That's four touchdowns and I did that math. He has 12 losses by 21 or more points. That is alarming to Tennessee fans. That is alarming to me. And I saw people tweeting that out. I saw Josh Ward tweeting that out on Saturday. And that was his stat. I I will credit Josh. I was reading the replies and quote tweets. And I was absolutely just floored that no one has seen this. Because I feel like I've been pounding this drum for two years now. At hey, I don't think it's closed at all between Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, and Tennessee because ultimately, those are the only games that matter for Tennessee. Yeah, it's nice to beat Kentucky. It's nice to beat Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. If you don't win two, at least two or one of those games against Florida, Georgia, or Alabama, or some years, hopefully, if Tennessee can get to this point, beat all three, then what are you doing? It doesn't matter especially two of those games are in your division, and Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart are going to be at at their respective jobs for a long, long time, and then they are in turn recruiting at a very high level, and some would say a higher level than what Tennessee is recruiting at right now, and obviously, they have the results to show it on the field, and Alabama, I think that just speaks for itself, what Nick Saban has done down there through his existence of being at Alabama has been nothing short of miraculous and just unbelievable and probably will never happen ever again. But what happens on the field matters. The scoreboard matters. Yes, Jeremy Pruitt said that, but it's kind of hard to say, hey, the talent gap is closing. Well, the the gap is closing. The talent gap probably is closing. It probably is closing. But that doesn't mean anything. Butch Jones had a very talented roster, not later in his career, but you know, right around the middle of his time at Tennessee. He had a very serviceable offensive line, had a very good quarterback in Josh Dobbs. Alvin Kamara was on the roster as well, so was Jalen Hurd. Had some really good wide receivers, and then Derek Barnett on defense. That was a very talented roster, one of the most talented rosters. It, it was definitely was the most talented roster in the SEC East and one of the most talented in the SEC, therefore the country. The talent was good, but he didn't beat those three teams either. And in fact, the one year he did beat Florida and Georgia, they ended up not making it to Atlanta. He at least beat those teams. Jeremy Pruitt has shown no ability to come close to those three teams. And that's ultimately what matters. Like I said, beating Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Missouri, South Carolina year in, year out is fantastic. But that's not the expectation at Tennessee. The expectation at Tennessee, just because it is the the caliber of program, and hey, Tennessee has been there in the past, is to compete year in and year out to play in Atlanta and then compete year in and year out. If you're in Atlanta, you have a shot at the college football playoff and therefore the college football playoff national championship. That seems a long way away because it's hard to say, yeah, the talent gap, well, the, the gap is closing whenever you're getting blown out by 43 to 15 on average by your three rivals like I said the only three games that matter on your schedule the way I took it is hey that's a slap in the face to Tennessee fans Jeremy Pruitt essentially saying his hey don't look at the scoreboard Don't even believe what you saw with your own eyes mere 30 minutes ago on Saturday when he made these comments. Don't believe what you're looking at. It's getting better. 
And I understand from Tennessee fans, I, I get the frustration. It's very hard to buy in to what that university and what that football program is showing right now because there's been a lot of false hope at Tennessee. Under Butch Jones, same thing. A lot of false hope. Like I mentioned, very talented roster. You beat Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Then you also lose to Missouri and Vanderbilt that same year, and you don't make it to Atlanta where you look like a sure lock to go to the Sugar Bowl if you beat Vanderbilt in Nashville, and then you get hammered. There's been a lot of false hope from these, from Tennessee, from that, from that football program that has been put out to the Tennessee fans, and in turn, yeah, they have a right to be frustrated. The fans who go in there, game in and game out, and support those guys, support the team, and travel to Athens, to Auburn, Alabama, like they will this year, go down to Gainesville every other year, and, and to Alabama, the same thing. People are pissed. People are frustrated that in year three, Jeremy Pruitt and that program has yet to put a quality effort, a quality team on the field to compete against the three teams that you're trying to beat, that you are you were hired to beat those teams. I say this about culture ball programs and, and culture ball coaches every single year whenever we talk about, hey, you know, what is next? How can this team go from the one, you know, step up to the next? And it's very simple. It's, hey, you got to beat your rivals. If you beat your rivals, which are usually pretty good in a lot of cases, like same thing happened in Michigan. Jim Harbaugh has beat the teams he's supposed to beat, but the only game that matters on that schedule is Ohio State. I'm at the end of the year, and he has yet to beat Ohio State. Down here in Knoxville, it's the same exact thing. Jeremy Pruitt has not come close at all to competing against Florida, against Georgia, and against Alabama. It's very alarming what is happening, and, and I definitely get the frustration, and Tennessee fans should be upset. They were mad about uh, about those comments. They really were. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I thought that it, that it was a total slap in the face to not only the fans, but the media that are saying, hey, what did we just watch? That does not look like a team, like a program that is closing the gap with one of the best programs in college football history against the best coach, if not football, definitely in college football history. You're nowhere close. So Tennessee fans, yes, I understand your frustration. You have the right to be upset. And then whenever I was starting, you know, my opening monologue by saying, hey, we knew what was going to happen on Saturday. That's sad that we know whenever you play one of these three teams, you know exactly what is going to happen. You know exactly what's going to happen whenever Florida comes to uh, Neyland Stadium in uh, December. That Florida team is going to go all up and down the field on, on that Tennessee defense if if the same Tennessee defense that has shown up through five games or the last ten quarters shows up against Florida later in uh, December, Florida's going to score 45 points and you're not going to stand a chance because Tennessee, offensively, they're not built to score a ton of points. And that's where Tennessee needs to get to. The roster, yes, it could be getting better, but the only thing that matters is that scoreboard, and on that scoreboard, Tennessee has stood no chance, and that's something that Jeremy Pruitt's going to have to fix. And it starts with the one position that I'm going to get to here in a minute. Listen to Third and Long every week on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Follow me on Twitter at LoganWard98. Now, let's let's get into it. Before I break down you know, what I have Tennessee going the rest of the year, the quarterback position. Now, it's it's been a mess. Like I said, we're gonna play all the hits on this podcast. Um, it's not a it's not a week or an off week at t- uh, you know covering Tennessee or talking about Tennessee as I do. We're in Knoxville. If if you're not talking about some sort of quarterback controversy, and through five games, it it, it has been an absolute quarterback controversy to the point where I have now moved on from Jarrett Garantano. And personally, no one should have anything against Jarrett Garantano. I'm seeing a lot of fans hating on him personally as a young man, hating on his family. There's no point in that. Yes, culture ball 
down here in the south, it is a big deal. But those are human beings on the field playing. There's no there's no reason for personal attacks against a quarterback, although be it, it is a that quarterback has not played great, which I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Jared Garantano will tell you he has not played great. There's no reason for personal attacks, so I I just have to get that out there. So what does this bye week mean for that quarterback controversy, that that quarterback room? And I think that it should be totally set aside this week and next week leading into Arkansas. Well, I guess this week, you need to figure out who you're going to play. You need to figure out, okay, we're going to reevaluate everything. We're going to look in the mirror. You do this well. You do that well. You don't do this well. You definitely don't do that well. That's what it has to be with every quarterback in that room. This week seems to me is you got to get another quarterback ready to go against Arkansas. And I think there's two guys that it's going to be. Two guys who are, I would say, probably leaders in the clubhouse to start against Arkansas. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, I, I think, is Brian Maurer for, for obvious reasons. Because it's very similar to the situation that happened last year. Let's go back to last year. Through four games, Tennessee sits one and three. Just got ran up out of the swamp by Florida. Then a bye week. And then Georgia comes to Neyland Stadium. You start Brian Maurer. You look pretty good for a half of football. It's a little bit different in this case, though. You sit now here two and three, getting you know crushed against Alabama, Kentucky, and Georgia in, in consecutive weeks. And then you have the off week, and then you go to a very, very much improved Arkansas team. Just a little wink-wink at my three against the spread picks. I really like Arkansas. A lot, and what Sam Pittman and Barry Odom have done with that defense has been nothing short of just flat out, unbelievably just craziness. What they have done to just improve that team from one year to the next, and giving what is happening in you know in the world right now with COVID nineteen, not even having a spring practice or a full spring practice. What Sam Pittman has done down there has been absolutely incredible. So I would say Brian Maurer might be the leader in the clubhouse to start. The second guy I would say, and you know, I'm kind of pushing back on a little bit of this because I, I don't think it's very likely. Of course, it would probably be Harrison Bailey because he gets an off week, but then again, he he missed a lot of fall camp. Didn't, obviously, didn't have spring ball. Came in against Kentucky, looked pretty good. I guess I I think that he was one of four. If my memory serves me correctly, I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to start because I don't think you want his first career start being on the road against a pretty good Arkansas defense, probably top two, top three in the conference, which isn't saying much this year. I don't think you want his first start being on the road. You would probably like to have that in. I'm um, in the friendly confines of Neyland Stadium. But right now, I would say Jared Garantino still gives you the best chance to win the game. But the thing with that is, and I, and I go to the Alabama game to look at that, is they just flat out don't trust him. They're saying, okay, we're just going to hand the ball off on third and eight, third and long every single time, and then we're just, we'll let you throw the ball deep because that is all Tennessee Jim Chaney is trusting Jarrett Garantano to do. I don't think you have to ask your quarterback to do a whole lot with, with that offensive line, with those running backs. You just hand the ball off to them. But Tennessee needs some sort of game manager, well, game changer, not game manager, game changer back there at them at the quarterback position. Something they haven't had since Josh Dobbs. Jared Garantano has not been a game changer. I think Brian Maurer can be a game changer because he has different attributes and, and you know a totally different skill set than what Jared Garantano has shown us through four seasons. Really starting is Brian Maurer can get outside the pocket. But with that, there's some health issues there. He was kind of out some with, with, with a leg injury, and you know he's had a history of concussion. So you kind of want to be careful with that. I, I, I offer you, but it's a different skill set. It allows Tennessee's offense to be more versatile. It will give a spark to Tennessee's offense, which has been very vanilla. The I guess really all this year they haven't really shown you anything, and I thought Alabama looked very vanilla on offense and his defense as well, and Tennessee still couldn't do hardly anything. I think it's time to move on from Jarrett Garantano, and this is me really, you know, I said, 
a couple weeks ago, I said, listen, Tennessee fans, we need to chill out. Tennessee fans need to chill out. People around the country need to chill out. Jared Garantino is still the best quarterback for this job. And in fact, I still believe that. But I think it is time to move on because I think you risk, if Jared Garantano is still out there and it's clear you do not trust him getting into a crucial point in, in your season to try to salvage somewhat of a good season, I'll talk about that here in a minute, I think you need a game changer at quarterback, something to give your offense a little bit of a spark. That doesn't mean that Jared Garantano is not going to play him anymore this year. Going back to last year, when he the games he didn't start, he kind of came out of the bullpen off the bench and looked very good, which was incredibly, incredibly weird. But I think now it's time to put him back on that bench and let him come off the bench like he did last year and give your team more of a chance to win. Because starting right now, it, starting him's not working. That's why I think you got to give another guy a chance and maybe you hit gold. Maybe they play Harrison Bailey next week, and he turns out to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. But at this point, I mean, I don't want to say this, but what do you have to lose? I think you're staring at least, best case scenario, I'll break this down here in a second, 5-5 five and five is the best case scenario. You want to spring an upset? I think a guy who can give you some running ability like Brian Maurer or people who don't have a lot of film on Harrison Bailey, I think Harrison Bailey can give you a great chance to probably spring an upset. Those two guys can. I, I really believe that. Because teams have enough film on, on Jared Garantano. Let's, let's just call it what it is. It might not be good film, but they know what they can do against Jared Garantano and what they can't do against Jared Garantano. And by the way, like I said, if one of those guys, Harrison Bailey or Brian Maurer, doesn't work... You still have Jared Garantano coming off the bench with he seems a whole lot more comfortable in doing that. So if I'm Jeremy Pruitt and Jim Chaney next week at Arkansas, I'm starting Brian Maurer and I'm letting him run. I'm going to let him bring a spark to that offense. I'm going to let him use his skill set to try to spark this team, get some life in this team, and bring some life back to this season. All right, you are listening to Third and Long every week on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Once again, I am Logan Ward. Follow me on Twitter at LoganWard98. Now, Tennessee's scheduled through the halfway point of the season. Right now, you sit at 2-3. and three. You have wins against South Carolina and Missouri, although, B, it looks like pretty good wins now against South Carolina and Missouri, given what they have done since Tennessee has played them. Obviously, Missouri's case beating LSU the way they did. The rest of the schedule sets up like this. Obviously, by a week right now. Then you go to Arkansas. Texas A&M comes to Neyland Stadium. Then you're on the road two weeks in a row going to Auburn. Then you're, then you're closing out November going to Vanderbilt. Then you have the 10th-ranked Florida Gators coming to Neyland Stadium on December the 5th. Best-case scenario right now, I think 5-5. Five and five. I think you can beat Auburn. I think that is... You're, the wins that I have remaining, first of all, let me say, I think right now they're they're going four and six. I think that is the most likely option, but five and five is the ceiling, like I said, going going into this year. Four and six, my two wins that I have against Ar- I'm Ar- against Arkansas, a much improved Arkansas team, and then Vanderbilt, of course. Vanderbilt, just because Vanderbilt's not, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, everyone beats who among us hasn't beat Vanderbilt, especially right now when they're just flat out not very good? Five and five is the best case scenario. You can go five and five though, because Auburn's not very good. I think that's the one upset win that I would predict. I don't think you're beating Texas A&M; they're too high powered on offense. You're not beating Florida because they're way too high powered on offense for you. You can beat Auburn though, because Bo Nix has definitely regressed. From last season, hiring Chad Morris looks like a terrible hire for Gus Malzahn. Bo Nix right now, six touchdowns, four interceptions. He threw six last year, and right now, 58% completion percentage. Hasn't been good for Auburn at all. I think that's the one win you can get. Four and six is the most likely scenario, and that is is ultimately what I am picking them to go. But let's play what-if scenario. Let's play you lose to Arkansas next week. 
three and seven is very much on the table. Now, they could lose to Arkansas next week and still go four and six, but you open Pandora's box even more than what it already is open if you don't handle your business next weekend in Fayetteville. Because three and seven would one hundred percent be on the table. In fact, if they lose to Arkansas next week, I'm not gonna pick that game. I'm I'm not picking them to lose to Arkansas. I ultimately think they will, because they have ten times the talent that Arkansas has. Three and seven is on the table if they lose, however. And that one win will be against Vanderbilt, and that's unacceptable in year three. You don't want that. But Jones in year three got to nine wins with the bowl game. That was always what Jeremy Pruitt needed to do. And in fact, I had Jeremy Pruitt winning nine games in year three in a pre-COVID season going back to the original 2020 schedule that, that included all of your, you know, Charlottes of the world and Furmans, all those teams. I had him going eight, you know, eight four regular season, winning a bowl game, getting to nine wins. But right now, that Arkansas game, according to ESPN's FPI, which take this at what you will, take it at what you will, right now, Arkansas is predicted to win that game 51.8%. Now, 51.8%, yeah, whatever, that's that's a little here and there. But they're predicted to win by the FBI. Don't put a lot of stock into that. But that game is now on the table, just because, just considering how you know, not good, lifeless at times that Tennessee has looked through the last three weeks and how good Arkansas has looked this year. Arkansas, yeah, they sit 2-2 two and two with losses to Georgia and Auburn. Should have won the Auburn game. Let's let's just flat out call it what it is. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that pass was not backwards and then Mississippi State and Ole Miss are, are their two wins. Arkansas is totally on the table. Tennessee has to come ready to play, and if they don't, I fear you're staring 3-7 and seven right in the face. And Jeremy Pruitt, Tennessee, they do not need that. You're listening to Third and Log. Now we'll bring in Eric Kane, my chat interview, whatever you want to call it, with Eric Kane at underscore Kaner on Twitter. Follow him there, and then listen to Producing the Facts podcast every week. Well, I guess every week. Now he's on the Eric Ainge Show filling in for Eric Ainge. Uh, 9 to noon on 99.1 The Sports Animal. Right now, here's my interview with Eric Kane. All right, so we're doing this again. Eric Kane, welcome on uh, third and long. Eric Kane at underscore Kaner on Twitter. And little, little little chat about Tennessee as a program right now. The comments made by Jeremy Pruitt after the Alabama game this past weekend. Eric, what's up, dude? What's going on, man? Happy to, uh, happy to be here back on third and and long um yeah man i'm uh just just grinding away through football season and it's it's been a grind up in knoxville the last three weeks i guess because you know, after the south carolina game kind of going in order of like the schedule and season so far after the south carolina game the narrative was kind of the same um the quarterback position really didn't seem to have grown that much and then going going into the missouri game Cade mays gets eligible they run the ball 50-something times. Then Georgia happens. You think if Tennessee can spring an upset, given Florida lost earlier on in that day, Tennessee has a chance to take the next step. First half was good, much like last year. Then the Kentucky fiasco happened, and then no shot against Alabama this week. So starting out Alabama, what did you think of the game plan from Tennessee? Well, first and foremost, it's been kind of a tale of uh, two seasons. You have 10 quarters this year for Tennessee where – through two and a half games, you played pretty well. And then you have the last 10 quarters to where it's not gone so well. Um, but, you know, against Alabama, kind of – it is what it is. You, you knew going into the game that Alabama was going to, based on the way Tennessee's defense have been playing the second half against Kentucky, uh, Alabama's offense, which is – statistically, it's not the best offense, but it's it's top five in the country right now. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. So, you knew it was going to move the football and score a lot of points – um, you just kind of hope that Tennessee's defense could step in front of some passes, maybe create some turnovers, and maybe give your offense just a chance to uh, steal some possessions and maybe steal some points in that game. But uh, that game was kind of it, – it was what it was. It's, uh, you know, for Tennessee fans, it doesn't make it any easier. You knew you were going to get blown out coming into the game. But 
Um, still seeing the, the way it went down, it was, it was not fun for Tennessee fans, that's for sure. Uh, but really, the, the highlight of that Alabama game was the postgame comments from Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, and, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But to me, it, it just seemed like they were playing not to get blown out, that they weren't even trying to win the game. But they ended up getting blown out, which, which I can imagine is very hard to do. But like, to me, it, it just didn't seem like they didn't care. They didn't even try. The coaches didn't put them in positions to be successful. Now, a lot of people were hating on, you know, running the ball on third and long, third and 10, third and, um, third and eight. It works sometimes, but you can't win SEC games like that. And, you know, early in the first half, I guess it was the second quarter, Tennessee goes down. It's fourth and two inside of, of their red zone, I believe. They kick a field goal. Why not go for it? Because you're going to have to score a lot of points to beat this Alabama team in general. To me, it just seemed like they didn't play to win or coach to win. Yeah, I tracked three different drives to where Tennessee made some really head-scratching decisions on third and fourth down. Uh, you know, Tennessee was trailing by four, 14 uh, to nothing in the second quarter, as you pointed out. Uh, the Vols had the ball on Alabama's 16-yard line, and it's fourth and two. And Tennessee has gone for it on fourth down. I don't have the numbers, but Tennessee's gone for it on fourth down a lot right. this year. And yeah. for the most part, it's been about 50% uh, you know, you know, uh, conversion rate. It's done pretty well. Why in the world are you not going for it on fourth and two when you're comfortable going for it on fourth and two? You have been all year it. long. This defensive line for Alabama is not what Kentucky's – and when you know Alabama's going to score in the end zone. So uh, I didn't like that call there to kick a field goal. Um, later in the second quarter, right before the half, Tennessee got the ball with 53 seconds remaining. You run the ball with Eric Gray one time on your own 18-yard line. You're like, all right, you're just going to run the clock out going to the half. Then you throw a pass to Jerry Garantano. Makes no sense. Then you hand the ball off to Eric Gray again. Makes no sense. So you're, you're, you're sitting there, what are you doing? It's third and eight, you're running the ball with Eric Gray. And then later in the third quarter, <clears throat> Tennessee has the ball on Alabama's 45-yard line. It's third and eight, and Eric Gray gets the ball again on third and eight, and gets tackled for a no gain. At the time, I thought you were setting yourself up for four-down territory, but then Paxson – because you're kind of in no man's land there, and then right. Paxson Brooks comes out and puts uh, a football. So it makes no sense to me. Those are three instances that I track that I, um, I really don't agree with. And so two weeks ago, three weeks ago, after the Missouri uh, win, Jeremy Pruitt said, we're not going to coach in fear. We're not going to play in fear. That's just not my style. And that was after a big win against Missouri where Tennessee converted on a number of fourth downs. You flip the script three weeks later, and it's completely different. So I have no clue. Yeah, you're right. I, I, maybe the game plan going in was to not trust Garantano. And if it was, then certainly you can understand that given that the very Kentucky uh, mishaps the week before. But in, in, the, in the end, I mean, regardless of if it wasn't – if it was the game plan or if the game plan was to not trust Garantano, that's not a good game plan. And, you know, my, my question is, the, what's the difference in putting in Brian Maurer or, or Harrison Bailey if you're not going to trust them to throw the football? So, uh, regardless, I mean, Garantano did not lose in that football game. Garantano made a couple of nice throws, had two touchdowns. Um, he didn't change the game by any stretch of the imagination, but um, he didn't lose the game. So, it kind of is what it is. It's a very head-scratching head day offensively for Tennessee. So, en enough with the game, because that game is what it is. You know, like, like you said – I was expecting a blowout. I had 45 to 20 Alabama. I, I turned out to be pretty close to that. You had a blowout as well. I, I think everyone had a blowout in mind, and especially Tennessee fans, which I think that's, that's really sad to what it's come to in Knoxville. The post-game press conference comments, though, you might differ from me, but whenever he says that, you know, Jeremy Pruitt, I'm saying, says that Tennessee is closing the gap with Alabama, what, where? Because the stuff that matters is on the field. I'll, I'll be it, and I know what you're going to say. Recruiting has gotten a lot better. Yes, I get that. But we don't know how good this recruiting class will be until three years down the line. So right now, things that matter on the field, they're nowhere close to closing any type of gap. If anything, it's gotten bigger between Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, the teams you play each and every year. And by the way, Eric, your boss will – not your boss, but Jeremy Pruitt's boss, Philip Fulmer, said those are the three games Tennessee coaches are judged on. It's not looking good at all, and I don't see what gap is closing that Jeremy Pruitt is talking about. Well, it's twofold here. Um, at the end of the day, what matters is what happens on the field. And when you're getting blown out by Georgia, when you're getting blown out by Florida, when you're getting blown out by Alabama, um, 
you can't you can't sit here and say that the gap is closing because fans are sitting here and saying, okay, well, you just got drilled again for the third time since you've been Tennessee's head coach by Alabama. So what gap are you talking about? It's the same thing. So what happens on the field, point blank, is what matters. And yeah. right now, that gap is not closing. When you look at the other stuff, then yes, I understand where Jeremy Pruitt's coming from in terms of rebuilding a roster. This roster is completely different than what it was when he took over. Uh, he has depth. Not only does he have some pretty good players that are starting, but he has players that you feel confident in coming in behind them. Um, you have recruited well. And, you know, to your point, you know, bringing in these guys, last year's recruiting class, you won't know. This year's recruiting class is good, but you won't know for years to come. So recruiting well, building depth, reshaping the roster. He's done a good job in that area because – and he's done a good job developing some of the talent. Nigel Warrior was – was a really good football. He was an yeah. all-SEC safety last year. Uh, Daryl Taylor was a good player. Dana Batuli was a good player. Those guys benefited from Jeremy Pruitt. I think Pruitt's done a nice job uh, developing Henry Tuolto so far. Bryce Thompson he's done fantastic with. So the individual talent and the individual development, it's been there. So I understand what he's saying, and I agree with him. But like I said when I opened up, the end result is on the field. And just read the room. That was not – that was not a comment that needed to be made after the Alabama game whatsoever. And fans are just kind of sitting there rolling their eyes. To me, I think it was a total slap in the face to fans and media. Essentially, Jer Jeremy Pruitt said, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of interpreting what I thought of the comment, was don't believe what you just saw. Don't believe what you saw. Look at just what I'm telling you or just hear what I'm telling you, and you just have to believe me. But like you said, what on the field that matters to me, it just seemed like a total slap in the face. It is bullets and board material. Could you imagine, Eric, by week this week, then you go lose to Arkansas, what those comments will come back and do for Jeremy Pruitt? Yeah, I mean, it'll be bad. And I mean, that, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's a game to where I think Tennessee will be favored. But boy, I think it's 50-50. Yeah, well, I'm going to say it, if Tennessee's favorite, it might be by two and a half. It'll probably be less than three points. It's on the road as well. So, yep. you know, maybe it'll be maybe it'll be Arkansas by three just because given the road swing. I, I don't know. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I didn't take it as a slap. Kind of a challenging question by our own Jimmy Himes. And he go. kind of responded with what was ever on his mind. And, I mean, again, I do agree with them in, in part of that because, uh, Logan, I know – I don't know if you remember, but the, the roster – the team, the oh, culture, terrible. that building was in complete shambles. I mean, it was worse than a dumpster fire. And so the progress the program has made in, in two and a half years with Jeremy Pruitt is significant. But again, it goes back to what's happening on the field, and you're obviously not there yet. So we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see these comments age well. I mean, we talked about it today on the Eric Ains show. The difference in Tennessee and places like Clemson with Dabo and places like Kentucky with Mark Stoops Tennessee's the expectations here are, are sky high and they always will be because of the success that you have with Johnny Majors, the success you have of Phil Fulmer in the early in the late nineties and, and early two thousands. And so you don't have a lot of time to just sit here and wait and wait and wait. Because Mark Stoops, man, he started to turn it around there. He's had four straight winning seasons. Now, will Kentucky ever challenge for an SEC championship? Not with Dan Mullen of Florida, not with Kirby Smart of Georgia, that's for sure. But that program's turned around, and they found their guy, and they waited, and they were patient. Dabo Sweeney, I mean, he had seasons where he was super inconsistent, two steps forward, one step back, and then finally it clicked. You know, those two programs, Kentucky and Clemson, were patient with their coaches. Here at Tennessee, I'm not – Jeremy Pruitt's not on the hot seat right now. He is not getting fired. That's no, not what no, I'm no. saying. But uh, the patience is not there at Tennessee, that it, and it never will be. Places like Tennessee, uh, Ohio State. Notre Dame, USC, those places, it will never be there. And so that's the difference in, in the two programs for sure. And or Tennessee and the programs like the Clemsons and the Notre Dames and the Ohio States and stuff to where you can afford to be patient where, you know, fans are going to be calling for the coach's head every single loss. So the quarterback position, and obviously it's, it's not a proper Tennessee season or week in general, if there's not some sort of, you know, quarterback controversy, has Jared Garantano, because I think he has, has he just overstayed his welcome at Tennessee and that it's just never going to get better than what it probably was late last year? And is it just time to cut bait and prepare for the future? Uh, in my opinion, no. I mean, here, here's the thing. I, I think like Jeremy Pruitt thinks, or at least – I, the way I cover the team is I always say, okay, well, what will Jeremy Pruitt do? What will Jeremy Pruitt think? 
And so I know Jeremy Pruitt, what he thinks. He, it doesn't matter. He's going to play whoever he thinks gives him the best chance to win on Saturdays. And, again, we can talk about this from a developmental standpoint. If you believe Garantano still is that option, then what's that say about Chris Winkie and Jim Chaney? Because Brian Maurer and JT Shrout, JT Shrout's been here three years. Brian Maurer and JT Shrout have both been in this system for two years, as has Garantano. Harrison Bailey's a little bit of a wild card right now because he's a true freshman, didn't get spring, didn't right. get all camp, and, you know, he's behind the eight ball in that regard. But from a developmental standpoint, that's a real issue. But in terms of Garantano, if he gives you the best chance to win, Jeremy Pruitt's going to trot him out there and continue to play him. I mean – that's why he was not benched after the Kentucky loss. That's why he wasn't benched after the turnovers that were uh, detrimental against Georgia. Of course, there was a lot that went wrong with Georgia, uh, that yeah. offensive line and, and company. But anyway, um, Garantano to fans, absolutely he's over. His, weapon, uh, his, his welcome for sure in the fans' eyes. There's a large portion of the fan base that wants to cut ties, go ahead and look to the future. But I'll tell you what, fans can sit here and tweet and say and call on our radio shows and say, hey – I don't care if we lose every single game the rest of the season. Put in Harrison Bailey. Let's look toward the future. No, it's not no. right. If Tennessee winds up with two wins or three wins after 10 when this season's over, they're going to be mad. And so uh, that's just the way it is. Jeremy Pruitt's not looking to the future. Jeremy Pruitt's looking for wins now. And so that's why I think you're still going to see Garantano. Having said that, this week – now. You know, Kentucky would have been a, a – you know, you would understand if, if Brian Maurer started against Alabama because of Jerry Garantano's performance against Kentucky. He didn't. Garantano came in, like I said, didn't turn the football over, had some really nice passes downfield. Jerry Garantano throws the football well. Does He always – Garantano came in, didn't turn the football over, had some nice throws, did not lose in that football game, but certainly didn't do anything that would warrant him as a game changer to where he could win it. You come into this off week, quarterback position completely – Completely wide open. Brian Maurer, Harrison like Bailey, last Jerry Garantano, all getting first team reps. Huh? I said, it's kind of like last year. After Florida, sorry, you said. get a bye week. It's like last year. You kind of get, you know, Florida, bye week, then Georgia. They roll Brian Maurer out against Georgia. So, like, so my question is, if there was a quarterback change leading into Arkansas, I don't think that, that it would be Harrison Bailey because I don't think you wanting, you know, his first start in – um in the SEC, in college, on the road, against a good defense, who would it be? Would it be Mauer, Shrout? If, if a there's change a quarterback made, change? Yes, if, if a change yeah, was made. I mean, I think the leader in the clubhouse would be Brian Mauer, but then I think it would be Harrison Bailey. I, I don't think JT Shrout will play, uh, again, in a starting role or in a backup role unless injuries happen. Um JT, JT Shrout had a good camp. Um, a lot of people around the program told me that he was probably the most improved player. Uh, but, again, you saw how little they trusted him last year, even when they started him. Every, every play J.T. Shrout ran last year, to the most part, was scripted. That's why you saw him go in and run for a series and then come out and Garantano would come in uh, because everything was scripted. They do not trust J.T. Shrout. And going in against Kentucky and throwing that interception on his first pass attempt didn't help matters at all. So if there's going to be a quarterback change, probably the leader in the clubhouse will be Brian Maurer, and then it probably be Harrison Bailey because – as I, as I said, Jeremy Pruitt will play whoever practices the best. Last week, Brian Maurer came in during, during scrub duty. He was the first one in. He was the only one in. Why? We asked Jeremy Pruitt after the game because Brian earned it in practice, and he believed that he earned the opportunity to go play in the game. So as of right now, I think it would be Brian Maurer. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if it, if it would be Harrison Bailey because, again, as you pointed out, you had this entire week. You can rep with the first team. You have next week. You, rep, you have two weeks to get ready. A true freshman would have two weeks to get ready. This would be the ideal time to throw him into the mix if there is a change. So we're through five games. Season's halfway over for Tennessee. I'm going to give you a mulligan on your record prediction. Now, you had six and four, correct? Yep. Given what we know now, Tennessee now stands at two and three. What's the new record prediction for Eric Kane? Because I was at five and five. I'm now at three and seven at least but i don't think that they could do better than five and five but i think four and six is staring them dead in the face i think that that's the most likely option man i i, I think the team will win more than three games um the the win you have is against vanderbilt which is the one i have it's probably the only guaranteed win you have left on the schedule um if tennessee comes back and plays like it did against missouri who 
is playing out of its mind right now. Yeah. Um, South Carolina. I mean, Tennessee didn't even play great against South Carolina, but played well enough to win the football game. And and I'm with Joel Silverberg. He said this a couple of times. Uh, even though Garantano wasn't great against South Carolina, you don't win that game without Garantano. So, oh, I agree. Uh, regardless, if Tennessee comes back and plays the way it played against those two teams, then you can beat Arkansas. I understand Arkansas, Arkansas is going to be a challenge. That defense, Barry Odom, Arkansas is going to be a challenge. But, again, this goes back to from a talent perspective. There is so much more talent on Tennessee's I roster. Agree. It's incredible. So, if you can just get it to click and you get it to play turnover football and the secondary can learn to cover a wide receiver, the linebackers, Henry Tolto included, can learn to make a tackle. The defensive line can learn to get a push. Right. It's Tennessee by two scores. Yeah, they didn't play good. I mean, that Alabama offensive line is incredible. But anyway, I think I think Arkansas will be a challenge. But I think if if it clicks for Tennessee, Tennessee can win that game by two scores, no doubt in my mind. Um, Auburn, shoot, anybody can beat Auburn right now. Tennessee can certainly beat Auburn right now. So that's a toss up. A and M's going to beat Tennessee. Florida's going to beat Tennessee. So with that being said, I think probably four and six. If things go your way, maybe five and five. But I'll, I'll say four and six right now because I do believe. Jeremy Pruitt, I know that a lot of fans might roll your eyes, but at least think of, think about him from a defensive coach and from a developer there. Jeremy Pruitt's too good of a coach to let that defense play that way for much longer. I mean, it's incredible. The secondary is atrocious. And, and I know that group got hit with quarantine so much. They had to start three different guys in the star position the first three games of the year. And it, it, it's, 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 been, it's been injury plagued as well. But that secondary is going to improve. I mean, it can it can only improve from where it is right now. And so I think finally that secondary will improve. I think the front, the defensive front improved every single game it played last year. So you hope that'll be the case this year. Tennessee will improve defensively. And then again, you, you've seen if Tennessee offensively can play turnover-free football, you can put some points on the board. So um, that that's kind of the best best case scenario for the Vols moving forward against Arkansas and Vanderbilt um, and against Auburn, really, in the second half of the season. So, so you agree that five and five, that's the best case scenario. They're not going to win six games this year. Um, no, I mean, uh, six and four, or, or, excuse me. Um, no, six and four is still on the table. That would be the best case scenario for sure. No, five and five. I'm sorry. I'm getting my, I'm, I'm counting wrong here. Yeah, five and five. Because if you win three of these games, you have two wins right now. If you win Arkansas, win Auburn, and win Vanderbilt, then, yeah, you're going to get to five wins. I don't believe Tennessee can beat A&M, and I don't think Tennessee can beat Florida. So I think best-case scenario, you're looking at five and five right now. Four and six is probably more ideal, but, again, it goes back to that Kentucky game. Like, what are you doing? Why would you drop that Kentucky game? So uh, five and five is probably the best-case scenario for Tennessee. Would four and six be an, an just an absolute failure? It uh, wouldn't be great. I mean, certainly wouldn't be great, but when you count in, everyone's on the same playing field. I get that. But when you count in the all-SEC schedule, when you count in the quarantine, when you count in all the missed practices, um, it kind of makes sense. Uh, four and six is not cause for firing a Jeremy Pruitt, but the pressure will go up in year four without a doubt um, because most fans will believe that the development is still lacking for sure. At underscore Kaner on Twitter. Follow him there and listen to Producing the Facts podcast as well as him filling in. On, I'm on the Eric Gaines show from noon to 3 Eastern time in Knoxville. Eric, we'll do it again. Thanks, dude. Thanks, man. All right, big thanks to Eric Kane for stopping by. Obviously, he's on a lot of my podcasts, and I am in turn on his podcast as well. So, great guy. He really knows what he's talking about. Once again, at underscore Kaner. Now, let's get into the three against the spread picks for this week in college football and, I, and I'll I'll make it quick because I don't want to go too too long number one Cincinnati minus seven versus Memphis and I think a lot of people going back to last week with Cincinnati a big time matchup probably one of the best matchups in you know of the week last week that got no love whatsoever two ranked teams Cincinnati and SMU Cincinnati minus seven versus Memphis I'm taking Cincinnati and 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 the points here. And I'll tell you why. Defense, 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 defense. They shut down SMU last week, which SMU, with Shane Bouchelle at quarterback, very high-powered offense, gave Cincinnati no trouble last week. Memphis, 
beat UCF, didn't look great last week. I like Cincinnati the points, and I'm a huge, huge fan of Luke Fickle. I think he's going to get a Power 5 job, if not this season because of COVID-19, but definitely next season. I like Cincinnati minus 7. Now, going over to the ACC, the new ACC team, as of now at least, Notre Dame minus 20 on the road at Georgia Tech. I love Notre Dame here. I think this is an absolute lock. Georgia Tech has looked, they've shown some life. Jeff Collins, a very good head coach, has looked pretty good through, I guess, this this would be his second season at Georgia Tech. What he has inherited, obviously, with, you know, Paul Johnson and, and the triple option offense, having to totally rechange the identity of that program. He's done a fantastic job. He's not ready for Ian Book and Brian Kelly and Notre Dame. I like Notre Dame right here, minus 20. The offense has been rolling for, for the Irish lately. Georgia Tech might, might be able to keep up for a half, but in that second half, I like Georgia Tech. I mean, Notre Dame to just pull ahead of Georgia Tech. They'll, they'll cover my, minus 20 very, very easily. All right, last one going to the SEC, Texas A&M versus Arkansas. Texas A&M getting 12 points on you know at home against Arkansas. I love Arkansas plus 12 here. <laughs> I really do. I already talked about Sam Pittman and Barry Odom, what they've done. You know, Barry Odom obviously being the the defensive coordinator. I like Arkansas. <laughs> I think they got a really good defense, and you know they're really good at causing turnovers. Just ask Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin. I think that they can get one or two of them. A- Against Kellen Mond, who has looked pretty good this year. Don't get me wrong. He's looked a whole lot better than what I thought he was going to look. Obviously, Texas A&M has the big upset win over Florida. I like Arkansas here. Felipe Franks has been good enough. But that Arkansas defense, I like them to cause a couple turnovers. Get Kellen Mond. Get that high-powered offense off the field. And and also, Texas A&M is still without, I guess... He's out for the year at this point. One of their top receivers in Chapman. I like Arkansas plus 12, plus 12 right here. I think you put two units on this, and I think you do you do not even worry about this. Arkansas plus 12 is my pick. And that'll do it all for me this week on 3rd and Long. Listen this Saturday, by the way. I am co-hosting Saturday Sports Talk on 99.1 The Sports Animal with Jill Silverberg, 8 to 10 a.m., be sure to call in, give us your thoughts, yell at me, yell at Joel for whatever. I mean, it's it's fun. It's radio. We're, we're going to have a great time. This Saturday, FM 99.1 or online 99.1 thesportsanimal.com. 8 to 10 Saturday Sports Talk with myself, Logan Ward, and Joel Silverberg. That will do it all for me with this week's edition of Third and Long. We'll be back next week to preview the Arkansas, win, the Arkansas game. Hopefully, it is a win for Tennessee just for everyone's sake, including mine. We'll be back next week. You've been listening to Third and Long.